Hey, podcast listeners, hope you're doing well, and I hope you are winning contracts. Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a minute to share something with you that's working for our clients. Our federal access knowledge base is helping companies win contracts every single day. I regularly get emails from members thanking us and saying things like, hey, I just won a $2 million contract. Many of you have seen a video that Chris Danback shot for us at GovCon. Chris won two contracts totaling $30 million. One of our members emailed me this morning and said, the turning point that opened my eyes was using federal access to establish a professional and systematic business development and RFP process. I've now won two contracts worth $480,000. Federal access is helping a lot of companies win. It can help you too. So here's the deal. I have a special offer for you. Visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers today and get started for just $29. You're going to get access Access to a digital copy of the government sales manual, over 70 strategy videos, more than 30 webinars, 300 documents and templates, and one of my favorite pieces is SME support. So when you run into any issue, any challenge at all, you can email me directly for help. So go check out the special offer today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. The link is in the description below the podcast. So go check that out today, federal-access.com forward slash game changers so you can get started for just $29 today. Now let's hop into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. So welcome to this episode of Game Changers. My name is Michael Lejeune and I will be your host today. Uh, we're going to be talking to Kathy Barkowski today about powerful writing techniques for better proposals. This is a, a topic that's very near and dear to both of our hearts because we really love simple writing. But but before we get started here, I want to give Kathy a minute to uh, just tell our listeners a little bit about herself and her company. And by the way, welcome back, Kathy. I uh, appreciate you being back on the show. Thanks, Michael. It's great to be back. Um, what you're doing is, is pretty impressive as far as really kind of breaking down government contracting into like the simple, easy nuts and bolts that folks can actually action on. Um, a little bit about me. So I was a uh, Navy EOD tech, Navy diver and bomb technician for eight years, became a stunt double for two years because that's a pretty normal career progression. And Absolutely. then for the, yeah. <laughs> for the last six years, <clears throat> I've been a proposal manager and writing and editing for a small business that helps a lot of sort of larger clients go after government contracts. And the one thing I will say is I come from a completely layman's background. I mean, stunt double and bomb tech do not usually go into proposals. And so truly, if I can figure this out, anybody can figure it out. Yeah, no, no kidding. Yeah. So I got to tell our listeners, so there's people that may not have heard your last episode. So Kathy was a stunt double in Titanic 2, right, which was a huge hit at the box office. And uh, my kids and I had – the kids had already watched it. So after the last episode when I when uh, we did Game Changers with you, I went and told my kids. And they were like, oh, she was stunt double for the main character of that movie. And I remember that scene. So my kids immediately remembered the scene where you're in the box underwater. And uh, they thought that was the coolest thing ever because both my kids are daredevils. So that's awesome! Yeah, wow. so that was that was awesome. So that was cool. We couldn't find the movie anywhere, so we could all watch it as a family. But uh, you know, at least take comfort that two kids have seen Titanic two, and uh, and that was good stuff. So wow, that's our, our, two 
two more than I thought had seen it. So I'm pretty impressed. There, there you go. Well, all of next Netflix has had it for a while. So, so anyway, I want to, I want to jump right in here and talk about this. Cause you know, writing is one of those things where I think a lot of people feel that they're really good writers. Like if you were to talk to some people, they're like, I'm, I'm just an excellent writer. I'm excellent at communicating things. I don't think that's always the truth, you know, especially when you look at it from the outside. But I'd, I'd just like to get some of your thoughts on what are some of the quickest ways to improve your writing ability very quickly, regardless of whether you think you're a good writer or a poor writer. What are some of those quickest ways to actually improve your writing ability on the front end of that? So the first thing is to begin recognizing when writing is good and it's when it's not. So if you're like a war and peace lover or those big dense textbooks where there's just like a lot of really dense prose that you have to like super focus on, then this, these might not be the right tips for you. But if you're someone that really enjoys a good fast read where you can get the point and you can get it immediately, um, there are a couple of things that you can do to really improve your writing today instead of um, after years and years and being an English major and all that kind of stuff. And I will tell you, I regularly edit massive proposal documents and I was an aerospace engineer in college. So like English was not high on my list of things to focus on. Mm-hmm. But so the, the major things that I focus on when I write or when I edit proposals is number one, your sentences should be short and very clear. So you know how we all like to say we leveraged Um, this thing or we supported and we're just sort of vague about what exactly it was we do Mm -hmm. we just want to switch in those action verbs like I developed I wrote like just be very clear about what your actions were doing and then instead of wandering around into who it was for and what the 42 things were in a list and then expounding upon each one in that list just figure out a way that you would just speak it to somebody. Like when you're just talking conversationally, that's almost the same level that you should be writing for in a proposal because it's really easy to understand. Yeah, the- I, I think that's so so big because a lot of people, um, when you're when you're reading it, you need to digest it that way, right? You know, and and not everybody who's reading that proposal is going to digest it like they would War and Peace. You know, it's a good example there. So 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 really good stuff. Exactly. And even like my rule of thumb is if I see a sentence on a page and it is four lines long, I need to dig into that thing and cut it into two sentences if I can. Yeah. Um, The other part is if you have like more than two points in, in a sentence, then that's probably too much. Because if somebody has to read it and then go back and reread it, that's you've already lost them. They've already sort of like skipped out on on what you're talking about because they're not going to make that effort. They have to grade a lot of proposals very, very quickly. Um, So tip one is really work on short, clear, very clear statements and sentences. Next, you really want to make sure that you're answering a question that's being asked in your sentence. So sometimes we get really excited about answering or telling people what we want to tell them. And then we realize that we forgot to answer the actual question. So that one's really easy. Just whatever the question is. And in the RFP, they may, they're very explicit about what their questions are, so answer them. And then finally, the third point is skip the flowery language. Like um, when you look at the very, very popular books of today's age, you're looking at like Harry Potter, Hunger Games. Those are all young adult books because whether you're 42 or 12, 
there's a there's a directness, there's a crispness to a lower reading level. And so we don't need to go and use all of the biggest, fanciest synonyms and words that Microsoft Word can help us dig up when we write. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a big deal. Again, you know, I um I sit on a couple of little councils for like our local city here and I always wind up judging uh, our entrepreneurial class. They always put together business plans and submit those to the council and I always review those for people. And it, it never fails that usually like eight out of 10 of the, of the business proposals that I see um, in the business plans that we look at all have stuff in there where I'm reading it and, and you'll see a sentence that has like 35 words in it and a handful of the words I'm like, you know, I think I'm a relatively smart guy, but like I need Google and a dictionary because I'm not exactly sure what these three words mean together, you know, and, and it's like it just it never fails. And I think some of that is people trying to impress people with their vocabulary. I think some of that's their natural writing style. I think some of it is, you know, hey, it's the government, so it should be big and bulky. Right. You know, instead of simple and clear when that's just not how you would communicate it to someone if you were sitting at a coffee table or, or, you know, in a coffee shop or something like that. And so I, I really, I like those ideas, which, and it, it kind of leads me to this next question here. You know, if I'm in a bigger company and I have a group of writers, no people, no two people are the same. The odds are if, again, if I'm given a team of writers, I've probably got, let's say it's five people. I've probably got five different writing styles. You know, somebody who, you know, writes, you know, the the size of War and Peace, somebody who writes barely enough to fit on a napkin and, and a little bit everywhere in between. How do I, as like a manager in the proposal process there, how do I get the most out of all these different writing styles? Well, it's such a good question because uh, in the proposal world, a lot of times we talk about the process of managing people, but we forget that they're really just writing. So these are folks who you need to write what you need as quickly as possible. And like the tried and true method is truly to just be upfront, lay out, be extremely clear on exactly what you want from them. And when I mean clear, like I, when I give them my outline, I lay out, I want the first paragraph to be about your overall understanding of the client, not our company of the client. And then I will say like the second portion of the part that you're going to write for me, it's going to be a max of three paragraphs and it needs to be how you would actually do it in present tense, not future tense. And it should be sort of a step-by-step -step without going into too much detail and regurgitating the PWS. And then finally, I want two great examples, maximum two paragraphs that demonstrate everything you just told them how to do. So just by like being explicit about what I want, they're like, okay, I got it. And then the other thing I'm going to do is just in way in advance is lay out, hey, these are the acronyms we're using. This is what we're calling the client. Because if, if you're responding to a government RFP, I feel like they'll call themselves something differently. You call your client something different on client site. Like there's a million different ways to refer to any one group. So just pick it and just let in. You'll just go with that going forward. Tell them if you want to use serial commas. I personally love some serial commas as opposed to um, semicolons or anything else. And then anything else that's just, you know, it's going to affect everybody that's writing. And then once you've set them off, a lot of folks will be like, okay, we're done with blue team. The outline's done. I'll see you at pink team for the rough draft phase. Well, instead of doing that, set up a smaller sort of every other day, maybe every two or three days 
just looking at their document. We have the technology now for proposal managers or the volume leads to really dig in and check out what folks are doing while they're doing it. And this does sort of two things. Number one, you can course correct. And course correcting before they've wasted an entire evening or missed their kid's birthday because they're writing for you is always a better plan. And then the other part of it is you can know that they're actually doing what they what they're supposed to be doing on time. So like you don't want them to procrastinate. And instead, you'd rather just check in and let them know that you're checking in. And then finally, when it comes to a lot of different writing styles, you hear a lot of times from reviewers, oh, we need a tech edit and we need um, to one voice this document. The best way to do that is to actually do sort of a full tech edit at least twice in the document or during the proposal. And I like to do it around pink team, the rough draft phase, and then closer to the end around red team or the, the final draft phase. And that way you've had someone else come in and like seriously polish the document and the rather than and the or the writer can go back and he can actually okay I see how you change my stuff now when I move forward I'm going to implement that sort of things in my own writing and you're improving them as a writer and you're improving the overall document and the cool thing about improving them as a writer is the next time they write a proposal for you they know what you're expecting even better hmm. would, would you recommend maybe at the front of a proposal process having some sort of training that you do every time with like the whole writing team because I mean, you're kind of it sounds like you're hitting on a handful of things about training them to be a better writer so I mean maybe, maybe there's some sort of training we can do at the beginning of, of every proposal even if it's a half an hour that just says here are the five things that as a team how we communicate or whatever maybe I mean have, have you ever, ever done anything like that Absolutely. I love doing that. And it really is 30 minutes. An hour if you have like a team that has never done a proposal before, but 30 minutes is all it takes so they know when to expect color teams, when their due dates are going to be, when weekends are going to get crunched, and then what you're really expecting of them from writing. And what you get, interestingly enough, is not just a better product, but you get happier people at the end because they're not like, man, why, why didn't you tell me this was going to be happening? when it's going to be happening. So right, right. love yeah. that idea. Well, and I, I just like the idea of setting expectations on the front end versus having the expectations already as the manager. And I, I don't want to say kind of holding your cards to your chest because that's not it, but not communicating your expectations. Cause I, I think that's where the misconnect happens a lot of times where, where people have expectations going in, they don't communicate them and then somebody doesn't live up to an expectation, and then now somebody's mad, and then feelings are hurt, and there's problems. So it's like, why not just communicate your expectations up front? I mean, that just yeah. seems like an easy way to go, right? Uh, but it's not that obvious to everyone, or else everybody would be doing it. Um, well, you know, when you were talking about the different writing styles there, uh, you mentioned a couple of things that I, I wanted to go back on real quick. One is you mentioned the technology to do it this, these days. Um a lot of people out there are literally using Dropbox or Google Docs to run a lot of their business. What do you recommend as a manager or even people running in the proposal process? Is there any software? Um, and, and I don't mind you making a recommendation of, hey, we use this software and it just it's really worked well. or We've tried this one. It didn't work well. Um, but is there any software or anything that you that you do recommend that helps this whole process better? I don't have a specific software that I use. In fact, my recommendation is to use whatever software you will use. And that sounds funny, right? Like, oh, I bought it. Of course I'll use it. But it's not true. So right, I, right. 
I have clients that use SharePoint and the new SharePoint with the box functionality built into it is phenomenal. So now I can have four reviewers and three editors going at the document at the same time and all they and they can use full Microsoft functionality, which is really important for like the style and the look and the feel. Cause you, you want your proposal to look good. And then I've had folks just be like, look, we're just using Google Docs. It's so easy. And it's true. Like you can just see what people are typing right there. But using that technology has to come from a top-down approach. So the proposal manager needs to be pushing their people into it. The volume leads need to make sure um, everybody's not like just copy-pasting stuff from other places. There are limitations. Like if you're on client site, sometimes you don't have access to all these different things. But um, technically, you're not supposed to be writing a proposal there anyway. But you should really... Just find a way and then wrap your processes, your proposal process around it so that you are driving people to use it. Because man, not losing version control or if somebody's computer dies and you lose 50 pages of a proposal, not doing that is is an amazing um, headache reliever and overall like your proposal will be better. No, I, I think that's a, a great thing. And, you know, a lot of people do have software that they don't use. I mean, I talk to people all the time, you know, entrepreneurs, especially the, the high driver personality people, they want all the latest, greatest stuff, and then they never use it. You know, they, they just, they have, oh, yeah, we've got that. Well, why don't you use it? I don't know, because we don't know how to use it. You know, we spent $5,000 on this system, but we don't know how to use it. So that's just how it is, right? Um, yeah. Any tips on... I'm still talking about the the actual writing team for a moment. Any tips on how to deal with the personality types that are that are kind of wrapped up in this? Because again, I, I think writing is one of the few things that's very personal to people, even if they are writing about, you know, the tech specs of the newest satellite, whatever components, I, I think writing is very personal to a lot of people. So having been around a lot of writers, any tips other than, you know, we talked about setting expectations up front. Any tips on how to do some of the course correction with them and work with them? Because I, I think it's very easy to go in and offend somebody with their writing. And now you can't get anything out of them or you definitely don't get their best stuff anymore. So I'm just I'm just curious with all the writing people you've been around, if you have any tips on how to deal with, with those personalities to do those course corrections in a way that's um, going to work well with their personality. Yeah, this might be my favorite question. So I have been on both sides of this problem. I have been the editor and I have been the person that's written what I have no doubt was an absolute masterpiece. And then a tech editor came in behind me and just bloodied it all up. And it was, it was so frustrating. And I was just immediately like angered and was like, why am I going to keep working for you? Clearly you don't like what I do. Um, but then I realized, well, that's just silly. Like, there's always ways that I can improve myself. So how do you actually handle that situation, right? If you're editing or you're the proposal manager or even just a reviewer, if you are looking at someone else's pride and joy, their baby, you can never call it ugly. Um, the first thing I do is I make sure in my email because or my email, whatever notes I give them, I'm like, first of all, you had something good about their document. Even if it's just like, hey, the formatting was great or... Um, you had some really great points or any anything at all, some really good technical details, something like the, the positive sandwich, right? So something great, slam them in the middle with the documents going to look bloody, but just know it's just little tiny tweaks to make it easier to read. Like your stuff's still good. And then end with, end with a good thing. Um, and then I'm also very polite 
when I edit documents. So instead of some people will just be like, I don't understand. And that's their comment. Right. But instead, it's, please expound upon this. I don't I don't understand if you mean this or this. Or even if you just ask them a question, hey, did you mean did you mean this when you wrote this? Or if something seems kind of offensive, I would just check in and please let me know if you think the client would be um, angered if they read something along these lines. It's it's a kill them with kindness sort of thing. And then your writers just have to know that it is a brutal time. And because of the speed of a proposal, there will be times where we can't always be polite, but just know that you're valued, essentially. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I think all those things are super important because like you said, it is their baby. And it, it, it could be about the most obscure technology on the planet, but they wrote it and they feel great about it. And it's, and it's just very important. I actually, my wife and I both, lost a really good friendship we had when a friend of ours who had started a business said, would you read my business plans? And, and her final comment to me was, would you please be brutal about it? And, and I wasn't, I didn't think I was brutal, but we went through, I edited it. And then I don't think she spoke to me for a year. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's like literally a year. We went out to dinner one time after that. It was very cold and, and not good because she had written her heart and soul into that. And I was like, well, you know, here's some things, and you know, you try to try to be soft, but I, that was that was one of my first mistakes with a writer, and and you know, apparently it crushed her spirit, right? And <laughs> and, uh, and and it ruined a really good friendship, and so I, I think that can happen very easily on the job in the office, and you can be like, why doesn't you know Jim or Sue or Pam, why won't they talk to me anymore? Why don't they like sending me stuff? Why is it just, you know, instead of six paragraphs, it's one and they're not even happy about doing that or they procrastinate. So I think, I think this is a key part of this discussion is understanding how to work with the writers and really making sure, you know, you, you kind of, you keep friendly with them. Right. So, so, so really good stuff. Um, so I think a lot of people out there have this idea in their head that if the proposal is well-written, you know, it, it will grade well, you know, right? I mean, that, that's what a lot of people think. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to grade well in the eyes of the people reviewing it, and we're going to win. What are, your, what are your thoughts on that? I think it, it helps the government not get frustrated and just throw your proposal away. Absolutely. But it's really important to remember that good writing is sort of the material that you're building the house with, right? So, like, I'm getting the good quality material, but... If I don't build it to look like a house and instead I build it to look like a shed, then we, we have a problem. Um, so I, it really needs to be, and we talked about this a lot on the last podcast, but we, when you write the proposal, it needs to go very much in line with what the RFP is asking for, in order, answer the questions as they want them, try not to leave things out. And it's really that outlining phase of the proposal process or the blue teams, as you hear them called, where you are setting yourself up for success. So then when you're off and running in writing with this like really great, strong written language, then you don't have to keep double checking that you're, you're writing the right stuff to grade well. Yeah. No, I can't, I think it's important. You know, you, you touched on it several times in this podcast. You've touched on it in the last one. We talk about it all the time. You've got to answer their questions. You know, I, it, it should seem obvious, but if you're not answering the questions, in a simple manner, in the order it's been written. I, I, again, pet peeve of mine, I hate it when I'm going through and I'm expecting the answer to question number one and instead I'm looking at something from question number six. 
<laughs> you know, and I'm like, why is this? Because somebody thought it was better to put it in that order when, you know, we're, that's not how we're grading it or looking at it. So so really important there, the, the order and the structure there. So, uh, again, a lot of people, when they're looking at this whole process, they have something in mind they're writing about. They're writing about their solution. They're writing about how they feel about this opportunity or whatever it may, may be. In, in your opinion, what should we, when we're writing a proposal, what should we be writing about? I would have to say the biggest thing to remember when you're, so like if you have the best solution on the planet, it's only a solution for one specific person or group's problem. And so really you're not writing about your solution, you're writing about their problem and how your solution is going to solve it. And so what we should really be writing about is how it's going to solve the customer's problem. And if we think about that as we're writing it, we're like, oh yeah, oh, they care, totally care that it's blue or it's green. So I need to make sure I include that when I, when I write about, when I describe what I'm, what I'm talking about. Um, and that kind of falls into, so you, I hear the word win themes. Companies love to talk about what are our win themes on this proposal? And they will spend hours and days and just tons and tons of people and like work going into shaping the perfect three win themes. And then sometimes they forget to email it out even and send it to their writers and let their writers know or tell the writers what the heck to do with those things. And so what I like to do is during that that 30 minute um, training session that we were talking about earlier is just tell them what that really means. So when you have the win theme of, um, you know, we have really good experts, then when you write an example, I want you to use either the names of the experts that the people will recognize or the qualifications that are really important to getting that work done. Like this is all part of like getting your writers ready. If we're going to say that we are, we have the most experience, then we better have a lot of examples in our, in our writing. And even if the government doesn't give us a place to put the examples, when we talk about how to do something, you just then say, for example, we did blah, blah, blah. And it just, lends credibility to everything that you say and you do and it's how you actually use all that work you did to create those absolutely amazing win themes hmm. well, that that's really important and, and i do hear the win themes is tossed around all the time what are your win themes how do you create theme win themes what are win themes and then <laughs> and then you hear people that are like i think we have those but i don't know that it has anything to do with what we're writing about <laughs> you know or, or what because they get it in their mind that this is what we're writing about and i like how you, you simplify it of you're writing about solving the customer's problems and how you guys are going to do that. I mean, like, that's it. That's what you're trying to write about. You're not trying to write about how your company is taking this technology to the next level, unless it is part of how that is solving the customer's problem, right? You know, and there, there's yep. so many tangents. In fact, I think you were talking about this just before the podcast. I think there's a lot of people that when they see the restriction of, oh, no, you know, they've capped us at 50 pages. They're like, wow. Man, there's so many things we're not going to be able to talk about now that have nothing to do with this, but we were going to put them in there anyway, right? And 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 that's one of those things where just because the government gives you 50 pages doesn't mean you have to use 50 pages talking about things that have nothing to do with what you should be writing about. And so just just some big points there that I, that I think people need to grasp when they when they're doing this writing, what you should be writing about, your customers' problems and how you solve them. Enough said, yeah. right? And Michael, one point to sort of what I, your company does much more of than, than most is you really focus before the RFP comes out. And if you're hoping that the proposal is going to be the one thing 
that makes you win, then you you're it's almost impossible. Like the client needs to know you. You have to have done all of that research and work and shaping and all of the stuff that that you talk about and you push even before the RFP is close to coming out. Yeah, no, it's a big deal. You know, there's so much work to me. It's people talk about the 80, 20 rule. I think of it as kind of like 90, 10, like 90% of what it takes to win happens before the RFP comes out. I mean, yeah, the writing may be timely, but 90% of what you need to be thinking about happens before that. So it just, in my opinion. So as we start to wrap up here, this all been really good stuff. I don't want to get off here without having you talk to us a little bit about how to save time on proposals, because there's a lot of writing going on, you know, when you're doing 50 pages or whatever it may be. Um, how do we save time on proposals? Great question. So the first, and this is sort of where, where my company comes in and we help folks figure it out, right? So the first thing is you don't have to keep you have a small window of time and you don't have to keep polishing the same thing until it is the shiniest thing ever. If there are other parts of the proposal that need more focused. And so kind of deciding and being willing to decide throughout the process, like management volumes, those are fairly standard. People write them all the time. Usually have a good management volume writer. That person could be done in a week and then go help your tech volume. Even if they just serve as then sort of like an editor or something. But you just have to be willing earlier to say, hey, this volume is ready. It's done. Let's put it aside so that we can shift personnel around to really focus on other things. Or better yet, go build a client. That would be great. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, yep. that's good stuff. The other part of it is only write what you have to write. So if you've ever gone into a proposal and, some, and the government says, we would like three past performance references and three resumes, and your proposal manager says, yeah, but we're going to write six of each. That is basically 100% wasted time. You have 100% of the stuff you're going to keep, but 100% that is just being thrown away, which is crazy. So if you take the time up front, just like the outlining part of it, take the time to down select on those things, you actually have to write less, which is amazing when it comes to overloading all those folks we, we spoke about. That's a big deal. You know, I, I like that. You know, I do see that happen a lot where people are like, well, they asked for three and we're going to do six or seven or ten. You know, and again, it's like this is what the government asks for. I think, you know, we haven't talked about this on this podcast, but we've we talked about it, um, you know, before the podcast. People don't seem to realize that often when you submit a proposal, multiple people are going to read it. And if 50 companies are submitting a proposal for the same RFP, that means there's 50 of those things they've got to look through. So I, to me, it's your job as the person filling this out to make it clear, concise, simple, memorable. And I think they will remember, hey, these people followed uh, you know, our outline. They stuck to what we asked. It wasn't painful. I think that helps make it memorable. And so, you know, to me, that's that's something people don't talk about the people who have to read your stuff. Right. So that I, I think that's a big deal that people need to remember. So one other tip for you on that point. Um, so I like to add call out boxes when I can. And I for like all the major sections and I will literally put one to two impactful sentences in that if the government was having had 50 proposals and they just had a kind of skim, they could read just those boxes and copy paste and walk away with exactly why they should select your proposal. Mm. But you have to be really good at those sentences. Like you have to distill it down and it can't be, my company is the greatest company ever on the planet, period. Like it has to be important facts that they're like, man, that's a, that's a great point. We need that. Copy right, paste. Right. 
Right. No, that that's a big deal. I like having those call out boxes. And I mean, it's really like these subheadings that and headings that are just popping out uh, for them to read, you know, with the most important points. So so really good stuff. Thank you so much for being on here today. I really appreciate all the wisdom as always and look forward to doing another podcast with you, Kathy. Thanks so much, Michael. I really appreciate it. Love what you're doing. Thank you so much. I also want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on this episode. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. You can also learn more about each of our guests by visiting the official Game Changers website at rsmfederal.com forward slash Game Changers. We'll have links to their website, social media, and contact information. And last but not least, please visit our sponsor for today's episode, the Federal Access Program at rsmfederal.com forward slash FA for more information on how you can find and win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.